0: Hello and welcome to Tales from the Leeds Library, the Leeds Library's podcast series in which we talk to members of our extended community about their lives, their work and their relationship to books, libraries and literature. Founded in 1768, the Leeds Library is the oldest surviving subscription library in the UK. And throughout this series we'll also be diving periodically into the library's rich history to find out what makes us and our members one of the most interesting and unique cultural institutions in leeds and the uk i'm molly mcgrath i'm project assistant at the leeds library and today our guest is jane riley jane started working at the leeds library as a library assistant in 2002 and in 2015 became the librarian a post which she continues to fill to this day alongside her many duties which include knowing the library's collection back to front inside out and cover to cover Jane also runs the library's monthly members film club and quiz hello Jane hello thank you Um, firstly can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what drew you to becoming a librarian
1: well um, as as you said I've been here um, for quite a number of years now Um, and I've always been a reader. I come from a family of readers, um, and spent a lot of time in libraries as a child. And the reason I wanted to become a librarian, I became a librarian is because many years ago when I was a little girl, my auntie gave me a careers book, which she'd had. Um, and in there was the classic sort of jobs for women, air hostess then mm. this, you know, various things. And, um, librarian was one of them and it gave a little piece about how what librarians did and I thought that's for me that's for me and then actually I ended up working in the civil service for 16 years but always had this childhood dream and then I saw the job come up um here and I thought if it's in next week in the paper I'll go for it Mm -hmm. and I did and at the same time as i came for the job so did helen Mm -hmm. who had more experience and helen was given the job and i got one of those standard letters that says you were very good in interview uh however you weren't successful we'll keep your name on file and of course you think it'll never come back to you yeah Yeah. and they did so um i i joined in october helen i think started here in the summer so uh
0: yeah wow it's like jack and me <laughs> yeah exactly i originally went for jack's job it's weird isn't it yeah yeah um and so can you tell us about your role as librarian what it
1: involves yeah not just going shh no no well in fact i've got the loudest voice probably of any librarian so i get shushed by members rather than the other end. i to be honest they, the, the role of librarian varies from place to place this what I like about here is I've been here a long time now and I've never been bored because mm. there is so much variety. Um, whereas I know a lot of my colleagues in public libraries tend to be very restricted to what they can and can't do. But ultimately, I'm responsible overall responsibility for the collection, the existing collection, the historic collection, and overseeing the purchasing and um, processing of new Books to books, DVDs and other mm. items to the library. Um, I've also got staff uh, responsible. You know, I've got staff working for me: two assistant librarians and two library assistants. Although they were down to one at the moment, we're recruiting quite soon. Um, but ultimately, anything to do with the books mm. is my responsibility. And it's not
0: just the ones that are in the library, is it? because no. there's a huge collection. This is only. A percentage of the yeah. the, the library's yeah. collection, yeah, that we, actually lives
1: here we have um so the library building holds probably ninety percent of our collection, but we have a thousand boxes in store with books wow. in, and we also have a room in Millhill Chapel, which is obviously just up the road. Uh, where we have some of our bibliography and other items there that's quite a small room mm. so yeah not everything's on site unfortunately we just don't have the room
0: and um, when in, the collection has been built up over the years by members recommendations uh, so in that way it's kind of a, a sociological record mm. of leads and and the library's readers reading habits what are the areas that are particularly strong and are there any gaps that people just don't seem to be interested
1: in? Yeah, I mean we do, our strengths are we have a fantastic travel collection, mm. historic travel collection, um, we're quite famous for that. We're also strong in biography, um, modern history, we've got lots and lots of modern history. Um, we've got a fantastic collection of what we call Vic Fic, Victorian fiction, it's not just Victorian but but heritage fiction Mm. um gaps in the collection um we don't we didn't have a lot of science fiction for some reason i don't know why members didn't ask for science fiction we've added we've added to that over the years over the last 20 years also we didn't have a lot and we still don't really of books of how to do something like how to how to change a plug how to Mm, decorate your house how to uh, why members
0: over the years are, are very handy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or it might
1: be just that actually the 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 kind of members we had were from the Leeds elite, yeah. perhaps initially, who didn't need to know how to put a new plug on or what electric. You know what I mean? More academic yeah. interests. Um. So yeah. Well. So because.
0: Obviously, members still are contributing to the collection, and it's growing mm-hmm. every year. Ninety percent of the collection comes from recommendations at the yeah. moment, but there is a small percentage that you, um, kind of the library. Well, you decide basically, what yeah, to, yeah. to supplement the rest of the member suggestions with. Mm-hmm. What's
1: that process like? How do you go about deciding what to buy? What to buy? Well, although we do tell people that we buy ninety percent of what we're asked for, we actually usually get particularly with the fiction we a lot of people like the series you know the fiction series you know mm. and they'll read all the Peter Robinsons all the in rankings so what 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 I tend to do is I look at what's coming up in the following year same mm. with DVDs and things and then I will give Anna some printouts and she'll make uh, she makes up a database of up-and-coming fiction and, not, and, and DVDs. Mm. And I do the same with non-fiction as well. But what I do to sort of keep ahead of the game is just read book, you know, book reviews in the Sunday paper and mm. literary review and TLS and just see what's out there. And then um, more often than not, um, I'll just say, I, I'll make a decision straight out, we will buy this one. Or other ones, I'll say to Helen, can you put them in the non-fiction request book and see if there's any interest? Mm. Um, so a lot of the times we've sort of got there first in terms of fiction, uh, whereas non-fiction, um, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of me and it's a bit of the membership. But but um, we, we, we always think it's nice if we can say to people, yes, we've already got that on order when they yeah. come to us. Um, but sometimes we'll we will miss miss chunks and we're less restrictive in terms of what we buy in fiction than we are with non-fiction. For example, the nonfiction goes in a, in a ledger that we keep mm. the fiction doesn't yeah So I suppose
0: I think the the nice thing about that is that you might come in here searching for a particular book and it might not be here because it's not, you know, as comprehensive a collection as other places. Yeah. But what you will find are books that you you wouldn't find in any yeah. other library, yeah. really obscure. Yeah. Don't we have like a really um big collection on magic or something oh yeah because one member was really interested in
1: magic that happened a lot and especially i mean the 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 guy who did the job before me jeffrey was a huge cricket fan Mm. so we didn't have a i mean a sport again we've got a lot of old sport books which are quite funny because the illustrations are brilliant (laughs) um but we don't we don't get asked a lot for modern books on sporting people or sports or whatever. Yeah. Um, but what we do routinely buy are books on cricket, because cricket is the one sport that our members still seem to like. And Geoffrey was a huge cricket fan. So there was probably an unequal proportion of cricket books to any other sport yeah. to be honest but it actually still is like that because the members like cricket yeah 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 so, what do you
0: think your legacy of taste will be on the collection
1: <laughs> well funnily enough i've had this conversation with carl because uh, as you probably know we've got uh hockney's a bigger book which mm-hmm. came out a few years ago and was very expensive it came with its own stand and everything And I realized that I'd probably added more books to the collection than any other librarian, but Mm. it was quantity, not quality. Mm. And when I've been cataloguing in this room, cataloguing my predecessor's choices, Mm. thinking, I haven't haven't picked anything that that will go down in history. You know, I really felt Mm. like I should have a legacy. And I saw the Hockney come up for sale, a Taschen book. And I can buy any single item up to a certain amount without checking, but this was very expensive. So I went to Carl and made my case to Carl and then took it to the books committee and said, look, this guy is he's a Yorkshireman. He's knocking on. It's a, it's a substantial work. Mm. Uh, it's signed and numbered by him. It comes with its own stand. Wow. It's an impressive item to look at. Yeah. And they they agreed that I could buy it. And so if you want to think of one, that's the one single item I think I'm probably most proud of. But yeah. but other things, when I started here, I noticed we had big gaps in the collections of fiction, for example, where really popular authors, you know, good authors we hadn't got all their books Mm. so I went and sort of plugged a lot of gaps there and things like that
0: yeah it's really I mean I didn't know that actually it was you that got the Hockney book but it's Mm. such a focal point of Mm. that room and actually every time I walk past I have a flick through yeah everybody looks at it. it
1: yeah I mean we had people coming in as visitors simply to look at it because word had got out because we'd done a twitter oh. feed or something and lots of visitors wanted to come because everywhere else it was like under glass you couldn't, couldn't oh. touch it yeah and i've never been that kind of librarian because i think what's the point That otherwise you just have book wallpaper yeah if you're not letting people look at the books and handle them then what's the point yeah exactly you and you save learn... the money
0: <laughs> if you know yeah you well know. i have got a que- i think this is maybe my next question but yeah um, Oh, yes. Well, OK, so I'll read it. Books are, oft- are not often thought about as historical artefacts and rarely are they the most interesting items in a museum display if indeed they are included in a museum display at all. Why do you think historical collections are important and why is it worth the time, money and expertise it takes to manage, house and conserve and study them? Mm-hmm. And what can you learn from a physical copy of an older text that you can't get from a
1: newer one? Well, I think, like you were saying earlier, what you have here is it, you take any time in our, in our 253 year history, any year, and you will see across, you know, you will get an idea of what people in Leeds were reading at that time. Mm. And I think what's quite nice, I mean, I always say this when I show, um, when I do tours and show people books that have got marginalia in them, and I always make the point that it's fine to write in a book, you know, that's prior to my librarian role. So, you know, somebody wrote in a book in 1702, that's great. You do it now, yeah. you'll have your hands yeah. slapped, you know. <laughs> but it's actually nice to see that sort of legacy. I mean, we've we've got a girl working with us who's doing, um, who's cataloging the Italian, as you know. Yeah. And one of the books that we're going to, uh, we photographed this morning to go in the newsletter is a little set of four. They're very, very nice books, v- uh, vellum, early eighteenth century. And there's a there's a there's a hand drawn gondola and gond uh, you know yes, in the back she of the book. That to me actually. Yeah, yeah it's and it's things like that that you'll suddenly spot in a book. But I think it's just uh, I, honestly, most of our members do not look at any book less more than fifty years old. That is, mm-hmm. in all honesty, um, but. If we took all these books away and just had the modern collection, I, I think it would detract from the building, it detract mm. from the experience. And the fact that we, in our original um, rules of the library, is that we will not get rid of anything in the collection, is what makes us so special. Yeah. yeah. Because other libraries have, you know, hacked her trim their collections because of space. I mean, yeah. we we are in a similar position. I mean, for example, up, up there, we've got The Professor, uh-huh. um, but it's not a first edition. We've got Jane Eyre, it's not a first edition. We had first editions. So going back to the thing about letting people read the books, we'll have had all the Brontes in first edition, we'll have had all the Dickens in first editions, but because they've got red and better read and they've fallen to bits, they've been replaced. Mm. I can't. I don't know why some books survived, and some didn't. Why, yeah. you know, in a way, it's testament to how popular they were. Yeah,
0: that they've been so used that they've and they've used and apart. they've fallen. Probably apart. testament to Darwin. Exactly. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not as readable. For exactly. Most exactly. But it's. It, I mean, books fall out of, of fashion as they well. They do. And they fall out of print, and to have a an archive of what is not popular is yeah. almost. It's quite valuable in some yeah. ways to see what is is no longer printed or the kinds of things mm. that maybe were in vogue mm. at one point. I know that yeah, the Victorian fiction collection, yes. particularly a lot of the books are kind of almost worthless in a way. Yeah, they not, are. They they're, are. They're a
1: bit trashy. They are trashy, but they come back round in popularity because yeah. there's Persephone books, and then the British Library have started reprinting their old crime
0: okay. books, but
1: they're sort of 20th century crime, the yeah. early 20th century crime. And then they're also starting to reprint women authors. Yeah. Um, And they're really popular because it is, it's like, um, I suppose you'd call them the women ones, for example, are like domestic fiction. The Persephone is like domestic fiction. Mm. But they're still really readable today and quite, uh, some of the subjects are quite, you know, they're they're modern dilemmas we all have now, you know. Unrequited love or whatever it happens to be. Um, and it is quite nice they come back in, into vogue again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
0: and just having a a record or a, or a huge collection, which is is true to what people yeah. actually read rather yeah. than just the greats of literature. Yeah, exactly. You know, is, is also really interesting. I think. Yeah. Um, so we're in the librarian's office, which is where all of the valuable, most valuable books are, and we've got three that we're going to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. In particular, mm-hmm. so the first one is the whale, Herman Melville. So yeah, that's these here we
1: are. Three here. Yep. Yeah. So um, th- this is probably my favourite fiction book of mm-hmm. the collection. Um, I often get asked in the event of a fire or a flood or a natural disaster. Um, would you try and rescue some of the books? And of course the, the, the proper answer is to say no, but actually if I was in here and I had time, of course I would. And I would try and save this set because of their rarity. So um, Melville, um, it's this is published in 1851, and Melville had worked on whaling ships in Newfoundland and wanted to write a story about a great white whale. And... Um, he wrote this book and he revised it and wrote, you know, edited it and revised it. And it took him about a year longer than it should have done. And what he did was the, the copyright laws in England were much more complicated than they were in the US. So he decided mm-hmm. to publish it in, in England. And his publisher was Richard Bentley of London. And he, to cut a long, very long story short, um, He um, he told Bentley he was ready to go with this and 500 copies of the first edition were published uh, under the title The Whale. And we have one. Wow. So I don't know how many existing copies of that original 500 are left. Mm. Probably more than you think, but it, who knows? Um, I mean, they would uh, almost immediately change the title to Moby Dick, so it's possible that somebody who's very smart thought, I'll onto on to this because I've got it under The Whale.
0: Yeah.
1: But the fact that we have a copy, um, and I mean, Melville wasn't an unknown author when he wrote Moby Dick, but, um, you know, he's not an English author. I'm not saying we only bought English authors. What's quite nice about our copy is it's obviously been rebound at some stage. It's in the original Triple Decker format, Mm -hmm. which is three volumes. Is The binder has put the whale in in brackets Moby Dick, just in case we didn't know. (laughs) Um, But it is in very nice condition. Um, But just to have the first edition of any book, but especially this one.
0: And they're published, isn't it? Um, So Victorian books particularly were published in three parts because it drove people to come back that's right you you basically get one book for three times the
1: price yeah exactly i mean books were expensive i mean that's why libraries started in the first place because i mean Mm. the average man couldn't afford a book they'd have been like a month's salary or something i mean obviously not not at this time but yeah so this is this is my favorite little set yeah i have to confess i've never read it i have never, you never read, read Moby Dick? No. <laughs> I have a lovely copy that was bought for me by one of my members of staff, which I will read. I've seen the film with Gregory Peck. Yeah. And I know the story. Um, but I've not read it. And I think it's one of those books, when you ever ever see polls of books, it's one of those books that people start but never finish. Yeah. I think so, it's probably
0: a lot more common um, to have not read Moby Dick, yes. but to intend at some point you're right. to read that's Moby right. Dick. That's right, that's right. I, I mean, also have never read
1: No, it. I think it's... The one thing I, I realise about working here and having access to so many fantastic books is there is never enough time for reading. Yeah, Never enough time for reading. Yeah. So if I, st- I used to, when I was younger, I would start a book and if I didn't like it, I'd carry on, I'd plough on. Now I just think life is too short. There are too many books to read. So um I'm not saying I won't read Moby Dick. I'm not massively interested in it, but yeah. I think it would be quite a nice one to tick off because it is supposed to be quite a tough read. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you you've done it. I've done it. You can so yeah. you can put it on your, your But it wrist. is it is a lovely little set and it's in really good nick as well. Yeah, it is so lovely. yeah, quite quite proud of having that in the collection. And it's got the the Leeds Library label on it. Yes, a yellow that's one. right. They, well, of course it's referenced now. Um but yes, I mean, just um, yeah, lovely little thing. Just a lovely little thing to have. Yeah, really chuffed with that. And
0: then the next one, which I feel like this is the one that I always say to people to impress. Them. <laughs> yes,
1: it is impressive. It
0: is it's the, the Darwin? Darwin, yeah. yeah. Talk a bit about that one.
1: Yeah, so um, this is a, this is a case in point about allowing people to look at books because routinely, when we started doing sort of more formal and regular tours of the library, we would show this. But as you know, the condition is quite poor. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually even get it out now to show people on tours because it is so fragile. I mean, basically, the reason it's so fragile is twofold. One, because it's had such a lot of people wanting to read it over the years because we didn't actually have what we would call a readable copy until Mm -hmm. recently. This was the only copy. And, of course, when it came out, it was so controversial, everybody would have wanted to read it. Mm. So it would have gone through the the hands of the library members, you know, very, very quickly. Um, The second reason we don't get it out as as often is because books... Unfortunately, in northern industrial libraries like ours, um, the the pollution that was in the air at the time, produces the gas and everything produces an acid which eats paper, eats books. So what you find with books like this um, is the paper chips, actually chips away at the edges. So you can look at books and think, oh, it's got a deckled edge but Mm -hmm. it hasn't. It's just simply started to be eaten away by the acid from gaslighting and things. You can see it here on this page here. You know, as it's been turned over you can see that and I'm and in here as well. You can see there are bits missing. Whoops, there's it. Is. You see that that piece, that bit yeah. of that's come out there. But you can just see there, the chipping the bit, yeah. Yeah, and especially on this page here, so the bits have chipped oh, oh off. My gosh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so this this is something we are very very proud of. Um, it's the first edition of on the Origin of Species. Um, as I say, it wouldn't have been bought as as a as an idea of being anything other than. The latest book, and this guy's, you know, upsetting all, all the people mm-hmm. who have any kind of religious feeling. Um, we know it's a first edition because the word species is spelt incorrectly, which I think is wonderful. I think it's on page twenty one, which I'll just check. I I can usually find it, and now I can't find it. Anyway, yeah, but we know it's I know it's um, I know it's spelled incorrectly, and then it was put right in the second edition and onwards. It was borrowed by um, the museum. Um, when they were doing the Darwin um, Exhibition and Centenary thing quite a few years ago, it's quite a thing to lend out. Yeah. Uh, and as I say, we don't routinely um, let people look at it now. Um, we had a Darwin scholar came here about, gosh, 10, 12 years ago and wanted to see it. And at that time, he was a researcher, we let him borrow it. And I mean, he was absolutely over the moon. He'd never seen a first edition. Really? No. They They sell for something like... Depending on the condition anywhere upwards of hundred and fifty thousand pounds yeah Ours is ah. in, ours is in bad condition and it's been rebound oh sure so it wouldn't be that pricey, but the fact that it is a first edition is 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 wonderful
0: and um, was there so there was was it five hundred no
1: there, there weren't many, many. Puppies, but i think there's something like only 1250 five. i think yeah and there's only a, 12, not that many, that many left, left. no in, in so it was a, the first print run was something like 1250 books, yeah. and um i have no idea how many are left now i mean certainly this was the only one they could get in like the north of england i mm. think so wow pretty impressive yeah yes yeah, very that's another one to sort of grab in the event of said emergency yeah yeah
0: yeah and then so the last one we've got is actually really beautiful Mm. um and this is the mandeville
1: so this was rebound in our because that was that's another funny thing when i show people around and say show you our oldest book of course they all expect this great big elephant (laughs) folio, but of course um Mm. books were so expensive they they you know they weren't giant Mm. books um This was rebound in our 250th year in this nice little box. Mm. Uh, And it's got a a little picture of John de Mandeville on the front. Of course, we don't know if that's what it looked like at all because it's such a long time ago. Um, So basically, it has a very, very fancy um, Latin title, but it's basically John de Mandeville's Travels to the Holy Land. Um, So it's been rebound in the style Mm. of the time. So, this is vellum, which is skin. Uh, and it dates from 1483, which makes it our oldest that book. Is it's mad, isn't it's it? Wild. It's
0: wild that it's so old. It
1: is. What, what, is, fast, what is wonderful about this, this little book is, as I say, books were expensive. The quality of the paper is so good mm. that this can be handed round and shown to people, and they can handle it and they can turn the pages. Darwin not so yeah. books now will not survive mm. they're so perfect binding I mean that's a contradiction in terms paperbacks particularly don't last any time at all um, if you get some bound books they will last but the quality of the paper is usually nowhere near as good if you look at the paper in this book under a, even under a magnifying glass you can see the linen in the paper and that's what strengthens it um. Yeah, so that's so there's a such a high proportion of linen that it's incredibly strong. Mm. So, um, this was bought, um, along with two of my favorite sets of books as well, which are up there, which are the Reformation tracks and the Commonwealth tracks. Those were bought at an auction, and um, I've no idea how much they paid. I did try and find some research on into it for the two hundred and fifty book, but I couldn't find out. Yeah. But this is basically a travel book; it's like a rough guide to the Holy Land. Um, as I say, it's early printing, very early it's printing. Just beautifully, it is. Beautifully it is beautiful. That we didn't have a title page or a frontispiece; it would have had that. Our copy never had, which is why you've got the shelf mark written on there and the stamp of the stock check done here. The first page. As you can see, he's a bit grubby. Mm. But if you look further on in the book, it's absolutely immaculate. Books come back today that have only been out three months that look in worse condition, And it's testament to the fact that the librarian at the time realised the the absolute value of this. Um, But also the fact that it is such a well-made thing. Um, I mean, it's been rebound at least three times in its life at the library, and it's stood up to that. Yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, early printing, but it's hand illuminated in this red ink um so this this is our only incunabulum which is a book printed in Europe before fifteen hundred. We have books from the early sixteenth century, but this is probably fifty years by fifty years of the oldest book we've mm. got,
0: and it's written in English, or no,
1: it's written in Latin okay um you can get an English translation. Um, the one thing about Mandeville what makes this even more interesting it's got this really cute little clasp as well yeah. what makes it more interesting is is actually the content of the book is a complete fabrication mm. so Mandeville nobody quite knows who Mandeville was he was possibly a monk from St Albans he might have been a Belgian called Jeanne de Lang. nobody's quite sure it's so long ago it's not a first edition um So nobody knows anything about him because he was born in the middle of the 15th century Mm -hmm. or or earlier. I I can't even remember when he was born. Um, So nobody knows much about him. Scholars say he's probably an Englishman because the writing is very English in style. Um, But the chances are he never left England, so he never went to the Holy Land. So it's a complete fabrication. He stole bits from other books. Yeah. They all did then. There was yeah. no, you know, it wasn't unusual. Like this is a true and accurate history That's right. of, <laughs> of, of <laughs> everybody else's. It was a popular book and it's it remained a popular travel guide, if you like. Um, the, the Pope at the time had a copy. Da Vinci had a copy. It was very well thought of, but Mm -hmm. it was all completely cobbled together from everybody else's accounts, which I think is really funny. That's amazing. (laughs) You wouldn't get away with it now, you know. If you imagine fetching up your publishers with a book on the guy book to Leeds, made up of everybody else's bits and bobs, which might not have also been true, yeah, they'd laugh you out of their office. Yeah, but it is a lovely, it is a lovely thing, Um, and just the age of it, you know. You show it to a school girl who's eleven years old, and they're absolutely.
0: Well, I am. Yeah. I can't honestly believe that it's hundreds of years old. I know, and it's, it's, still, it's, it's still readable. It's still
1: readable. Yeah, and it is a lovely thing. It's just a lovely, lovely um, addition to the collection and yeah. another one we're justifiably proud of. Yeah.
0: yeah. And there is quite a big. Um, Quite an old foreign language collection, yes. They? And they
1: used so there used to be a separate foreign language. They did library which joined on to the joined on to the library in seventeen seventy eight. Yeah. Um, the reason we think for that again, a lot of it's supposition, but um, obviously the, Leeds was a wool mm-hmm. town, a mill town. A lot of the merchants would have had sons who went into the business, so um, and that would have meant trading in Europe primarily. So the best way to learn the language then was to get books and try and learn. So we've got an an enormous amount of books in French, Italian, some Spanish, German, a couple in Portuguese. We also have some Chinese and we have Mm. some Hebrew and we have some Yiddish. Yeah. So quite quite a cross section of books. Um, And then I, I think it would have been fairly common for Merchant Sons to learn one or two Mm. you know european languages and i mean it's not something we ever really keep up do we? british no. are notoriously bad at languages but no. uh nice yeah nice. we have we have some fantastic books i mean i did o-level french so i can just about get by cataloging french books um the italian was a step too far which is why yeah. i'm quite glad we've got somebody doing that
0: yeah and it's amazing if, if someone is there to Kind of rediscover these yeah books and that's go through right them. It's yeah really interesting to see yeah. what's actually there and just and then you yeah you discover like the little gondola illustration that's right and... the
1: lovely lovely i mean we did have a um a volunteer who was a student in german and she actually cataloged quite a bit the german for mm. us um but yeah i mean it is it is it is tricky cataloging if, you, if it's not even in your mother tongue you know you uh, you are on Google Translate just yeah. to get an idea of what the subject might well, be. Like
0: sometimes, even like reading the old um, English ones is really difficult, it's quite um, hard. And the, the fonts are just yeah, visible. they're quite difficult, <laughs> like, yeah, massively long.
1: German, images. old German books like the Luther set up there yeah. and the, the Reformation, even German nationals can't read some of them because it's yeah. in the old font or the old German, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Quite wow. Thank you, Jane, so much for, right. for telling us a bit about. And this is, yeah, again, only three of the gems of the collection. There's so many more. So we'll have to dive back in at some think point. I think so. think
1: <laughs> so.
0: Thank you. Great. This has been a podcast from the Leeds Library. Links to more information about our guests and any works talked about can be found in the description. If you'd like to find out more about the Leeds Library and any of our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.theleedslibrary.org.uk or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at The Leeds Library. Thank you for listening and keep your eyes and ears peeled for more Tales from the Leeds Library in our future episodes released every Wednesday.